Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. show features Tom Manna, president and founder of Digital Home Systems. Tom's extensive management background in electronic marketing and computer-based organizations, combined with his passion for cutting-edge technology and dedication to customer service, make running a customer-centric boutique home technology firm a natural fit. In 1999, he founded Digital Home Systems, which quickly gained a reputation for its sophisticated digital platform and unparalleled performance, simplicity, and elegance. Today, DHS is known for providing high-end clients, architects, builders, and interior designers with a range of products and services that seamlessly integrate technology into a home's design including home theater, distributed audio, security, data, communications, and control. DHS's custom-designed systems represent the perfect combination of best-in-class technology, flawless performance, and understated elegance. We live-streamed this interview on social media on Wednesday, April 26, 2023, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. During our time together, we discussed Tom's start in the custom integration business back in 1967. Yes, that was in his parents' living room. You have to listen to hear the story. Tom's passion for live performance music, lessons learned during 9-11 and the Great Recession, and how they could apply to our current economic cycle. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Let's tune in to this interview with Tom Manna. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm great. Having a hey. little coffee. Uh, it's good, man. Well, I appreciate it. I'm sitting here riffing. I was like, wait a second. I think I just brought Tom in. Um, but at, uh, at the HCSA conference, we rolled out uh, these beautiful new hiring videos. It's a benefit for any HTSA member, so don't. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out to the HTSA staff or the staff here at One Firefly to learn more about that. Again, it's a it's a free benefit to those members that they can incorporate into their websites and marketing. But Tom, I clicked a, a little early, so sorry I didn't give you the proper introduction, man. So that was uh, that was shame on me. Um, let me do this now for all of our <laughs> our folks that are are tuned in and and listening. Uh, so this is show 242. Uh, Tom, I was telling you just before we went live that this month of April is officially our six-year anniversary of doing Automation Unplugged. And uh, and here you are. Thank you. And this is you're you're my guest uh, in this this celebration month. And uh, for folks tuning in, this is Tom Manna. He is president and founder of Digital Home Systems. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Where are you coming to us from, Tom? Uh, we are at our world headquarters in Rybrook, New York. Um, Rybrook, New York. You, you, yeah, which is, let's say, five minutes, 10 minutes over the uh, New York City line, uh, uh, Westchester, and we're in Westchester County. Um, so we're we're sandwiched in between New York City and Connecticut, and we uh, work in a very very calm area called Metro New York. Uh, our clients are not discriminating at all, and um, and we go to the Hamptons, and we go we go wherever we need to go. We we'll go out of state if if there's an opportunity there, and we think we can uh, do a bang up job for the client. What percentage of your work is there in the New York metro area versus the occasion where you need to leave the area or leave the state? Um, if we if we include the Hamptons and obviously New York City, Westchester and Fairfield County, Connecticut, 
90% uh, of our work is there, 95% of the work. Uh, uh, but we have gone to uh, Cincinnati, to uh, South Carolina, Charleston, uh, Kiowa area. So, And I'm, I'm sharing go. for our viewers, our folks that are watching, I'm sharing your website. Uh, and I'll just, I'll click around a little bit so folks can can get a look at that. What are the the typical types of projects here on your website? I'm seeing residential. Are you guys uh, fully resi, or do you do a, a, a dabble in any commercial stuff? We do like commercial. We do uh, a, a lot of uh, restaurants, and uh, you know what's what's big is these um, multi unit dwellings, these MDUs that are popping up all along the. Uh, uh, these uh, New York Central, the, the train line uh, area uh, was it was in the past. You know, it was a great place for younger people to rent an apartment right by the uh, right by the train and then hop into the city. It's less needed since uh, we're in post COVID. Um, but uh, you know, we most of our business is there. We we do hospitality well, uh, so we've done these multi-dwelling units, more of the common areas, the gyms, um, making a, a community experience. This um, theater I have on the screen now, is this a, in an MDU project? No. That's in some way, that's a big theater. <laughs> that's that's a private theater. It's 22 seats. Uh, that's up in Stanfordville, uh, New York, which is up, up uh, you know, um, south of Albany, north of uh, New York City. Okay. Yeah, that looks like Yeah, we that was a nice that's that's a nice project. This was a this was a 18,000 square foot home. Um and then the add-on was the theater after we finished the home and the uh, it was a you know, nice project. That is uh that is not an inexpensive theater. That that theater's close to a half a million bucks. Wow. That's it's hard to do theaters in Manhattan proper, right? Because there's there's generally isn't the real estate in the city. So you have to go out to, to be able to but, do jobs like that. But but um I, I'm gonna say it's about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Um we were doing work for the COO of Coach at the time, Leather. Wow. Um and he uh Purchased a brownstone, which Walt Disney's daughter owned, and uh, he did a marvelous renovation. And the the the, uh, the architect and designer brought us in, um, and we took a bedroom and we made it a, a eight seat theater, uh, and it and it came out really nice, a nice cozy room, uh, not so small, uh, in on uh, on Park Avenue, so. What are some of the biggest challenges of doing projects in New York? Like what are, yeah, I, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned and you said it jokingly that the clients can be discerning. <laughs> I imagine some of the clients uh, maybe could be a little more demanding than in other parts of the country. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to judge people unfairly from where they live or where they're born, but it's, it's possible. Hey, we don't, we don't have the monopoly on, uh, on people who are discerning. Yes. Discerning. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be politically correct. What, what are some say, of the other challenges of doing work in that area? Um, it, logistics. It, the logistics yeah. is the number one challenge. Um, it's just a, so as the crow flies in, in a vehicle, it should take us 20 minutes to get into midtown Manhattan. Not that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, you throw that out the window unless you leave at five in the morning. Uh, so it's, we usually have to leave an hour and a half travel in and, and maybe two hours out. Um, we can't get into most buildings before nine or 10. We have to use the service elevators. You cannot come in the front door of any building. doesn't matter what it is. So we have to wait. And usually logistics, we're carrying the equipment in and you're online with all the trades who are going into that building for the day. Mm. And um, so logistics, 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 parking, parking, parking. Uh, you have to have your game plan together. You have to have your list of materials ready to go. You have to have your tools set. And depending on 
what you're getting into. We could need concrete tools. Most of the walls in New York City are concrete. Most of the ceilings are concrete. Hmm. So uh, you, there's no such thing as running wire inside the wall. It's it's channeling. It's so other than logistics, it's the um, it would be the construction, the construction materials. We did. It wasn't in the city, but we did a, a when we we're a 23 year old company, and 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 I think this was year two or three. We did a house in Larchmont, and we come to find that the whole house is built out of this uh, concrete block and it happened to be the same block they used on new york city subway so that was a real wake-up call um so even that tech that that uh building uh structure made its way up into westchester county because it's proximity to the city that's that sounds challenging but you find a way right i mean there's there's wonderful integration businesses all throughout new york and new jersey and Despite all the challenges, logistics and construction, and I go back to logistics because I've just heard the nightmares of getting to the job site and getting up to the unit. It can be quite hard. There are some of the the best and the brightest and most successful integrators in, in North America are right there in your backyard. So you're 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 rubbing elbows with you know, some of the best and the brightest for sure. Do you, do you see that or feel that? Uh, am I frozen? I, I can't tell. No, you're a little choppy, All right, but so, you're, uh, I hear you fine. Your audio is coming through perfect. Okay. Uh, but so yeah, I'll tell you, sto- yeah, I'll tell tell you a story about, about that. Um, uh, when I was transitioning out of the court, I was in the corporate world for, for quite a while. And I think we're totally down. <laughs> no, no, no. I, okay. I hear you fine. Okay, fine. Uh, I was in the corporate world for 22 years uh, in sales and marketing uh, for consumer packaged goods companies, uh, stuff that's sold in the grocery store. So I worked for Nabisco and uh, uh, Standard Brands, Clorox Company. Um, as I was uh, transitioning out, hey, this is the corporate guy. I was a senior vice president of sales of a billion-dollar company. And uh, shit, I'm going to teach this, excuse me, I'm going to teach this industry something. Um, Yeah, I got humbled real quick. I got to tell you, um, and I'm still at awe of the entrepreneurs that are in this business. Yes. And uh, corporate guys got nothing on on, uh, the people who work in our industry, the owners of our industry, and who have pioneered uh this rapid pace of growth so i thought i was gonna hey no problem i got this well no i didn't get that but uh but i learned a lot and the the industry by and large is welcoming and um, a lot of associations and 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 to join and learn the business but literally i know knew nothing other than what i did along the way um, as a musician and a, and a, a um, hobbyist in the, in the business. Um, but I knew, hey, plus and minus, white and black, black and red, um, I got this. And the technology I did have. Um, uh, I remember going into ADI. Uh, it's one of the uh, dis- national distributors most people know for, for alarms. And when I decided to do this business, it was there was no industry called custom integration. We were the AV people. Mm. Um, and at the time, separate companies did alarm. And a different company came in and did your phones. And a different company came in and did your audio. Maybe some video, uh, no thing as networks. So there, there was a homeowner at the time, and this is back in. Uh, I started this business in um, end of 1999. Uh, a homeowner, if they were doing a sizable project, had to go out and hire you know four or five independent trades to do what this industry does now. And I said, wouldn't it be a great idea if? All right, I'm going to do alarms. I'm not, I'm not doing them. I did. I wasn't doing anything, but 
what what do I want my offering to be? And I thought, well, it's got to be alarm. It's got to be audio video. It's got to be communications. It's got to be, you know, a one-stop shop. And, and that's what our industry was doing at that time. And, um, and got, got into it that way. And uh, we rolled with the times. Uh, we went through hellish times and great times. Um, we went through 9-11 which uh, basically shut down our business for the better part of a year uh, because most of our clients were affected by 9-11. And then- well, let's zoom in on that just for a minute out of curiosity. And, and then I guess we'll, we'll kind of jump around a little bit. I want to cover that. Um, how, when 9-11 happened, that was 2001, right? Yeah. Yes. In 2001, what what did happen to the business? Like, did all the work go away immediately overnight? No, but all work was affected overnight. Um, okay. Was it, was the work paused? The work was paused for two weeks or at least a week in, in most cases, but we've, you know, we, we had clients who we literally lost um, you know, uh, Westchester County is the bedroom uh, of New York City of investment bankers, lawyers, uh, you know, our client base uh, in the city. And um, so you had yeah, clients it, on those floors of those uh, towers. Would, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and, and friends and client friends, clients become friends. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it look, it just. Everybody knows it, it wasn't any different in any other part of the country. You know, New York, very affected because you have eight to 10 million people going into the city every day. And that just comes to a screeching halt. So, yeah, um, well, well, let's let's go back in time, Tom. Tell yeah. us, how did how did all this begin? How did your love or passion and you mentioned you had a career in the corporate world. So take us from the beginning. I mean, heck, go back to childhood or as far as you're, you're willing or game to go back. <laughs> when did this love or passion for this stuff, like when did you know that there was a there was something there? And then what was the trajectory or path that ultimately brought you to launching your business in 1999? Uh, I, I think I came out of the womb uh, with an interest in, in wires and sound. Mm-hmm. And being a male, we're very visual and and video and visual. Um, as as you might have guessed by where my business is, I grew up in the Bronx. Yep. My my accent wouldn't give that away at all, but uh, right. Uh, just to clarify, and uh, quick story. Uh, my father was a, a, a garment cutter. He was a factory worker, and uh, he worked really hard. My grant my whole. My whole family was uh, in the garment business. Actually, my my grandfather, his father, uh, designed coats and made coats for for Shirley Temple. A lot of our younger people don't know who that is these days, but it, the it, Shirley it, Temple, like the, the famous actress, yes. okay. Yes. And and, and uh, she ultimately became um, Shirley Temple Black and a and a, a congressperson. Yeah, yeah, New York City. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Dad's leaves the house at six, comes back at eight. He's tired. He wants to eat. Well, I had it in my mind that I was going to, uh, had a nice little stereo in my bedroom. Uh, that, uh, we, we lived on the second floor of a two family house. So, so we did not own the house. We rented it. So, um, I had my room in the, in the, towards the back of the house and the kitchen was next door. And then the living room was towards the front of the house. And I said, to myself self uh i want to hear i want to hear music i want to hear when i go into the kitchen and when i go to the living room now, now i'm a, probably about 10 years old at this time and uh, i got a spool of wire and hooked it up to my speaker output of my techniques quadraphonic receiver and ran some wire into the kitchen and ran some wire into the living room and made little speaker brackets and I got a, had a couple of pairs of speakers of course because as a hobbyist we all collect it we still do <laughs> and uh, 
I got the the speakers up in the corners in the kitchen and in the living room and had it going on. And my dad walks through the hall and I got probably Led Zeppelin on. And I was uh, I was told to kind of quiet it down like immediately. <laughs> but what but, year uh, would this have been? You said you were setting up multi-room audio. Which yeah. which decade? I'm going <laughs> to I'm old. Uh, this was probably 1967. Holy bananas. So you were one of the OGs in setting up multi-room audio in 1967. What's, what's an OG? Old guy? Uh, the, the, the original gangster. Original gangster <laughs> or old guy. Or the uh, old guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll tell you one more story. So, the, the, the you know, I was born 1957. So uh, that's when we moved into that apartment. and. Um, they went all out. They bought this beautiful walnut Motorola two-piece console. On the left side, it was the stereo portion with a bunch of big speakers, but in a console, in a piece of furniture, um, and all the technology was hidden. What what what's past is prologue, right? Um, and on the other piece of furniture, they joined together, and they actually had a wire a, a wire jump to use the speakers in the. TV side of the system or the console. Um, so, and you had this beautiful console with uh, tambour doors that hit the screen and it was a black and white TV. So when, by the time I came along, I'm, I'm, I'm the baby. Uh, my brother's 10 years older, my sister's seven years older. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we needed color TV. I mean, you know, black and white was the fifties and, you know, we're, we're, we're in 64, 65, color became a thing. And uh, my parents went out and bought a Magnavox, you know, whatever it was, 21 inch, 27 inch at the time, CRT, color TV with rabbit ears and everything. And they put it on the top of the console. And I'm looking at this, I'm going, no, no, the, 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 you know what? The section in the console where the, the black and white CRT fits looks just to be about a little bit bigger than the whole cabinet for the color TV. So yeah, I did it. I, my, one of my most favorite things growing up was watching the TV repairman. As a matter of fact, I have two of those vintage boxes, the butterfly boxes that the tubes go in. Anyway, uh, took off the back, pulled out the CRT chassis, held my breath, but, and greased up the <laughs> cabinet and slid it inside. And you want to know something? It looked pretty damn good. So I was doing custom integration um, at the same time. That's amazing. And how long did your fit? Did your what your parents say about the color TV retrofit? Oh, they that went over much better than than the speakers, you know, and the wires taped around the house. They loved that. That's amazing. So I imagine as you you know went to school. And then at college or, or after high school, whatever you did, I, I imagine it wasn't obvious how to enter a career in the audio video business. And nope. so the, nope. you, you did not go down that path because that was that even a thing or an option at that point in, in, in the state of things? No. I tell you what, everybody. OK, this is early 70s, Bronx, New York. It's not the Bronx that you picture today. It was very suburban. Uh, we were on the borderline of Westchester County. And everybody had a garage band. Everybody. Music was, you know, we just passed the 60s. Now we're coming into the, the bands of the 70s, the Eagles, uh, et cetera. And everybody wanted to be a rock star. Of course. <laughs> and, um, and that's how I learned about uh, amplifiers and speakers. And I built uh, a couple of uh, sound systems for bands. And in college, I had a, I had a, a sound, a sound company that we did outdoor and indoor sound. Um, but I didn't do that. As a matter of fact, I have a cousin who's six months apart from me. So he chose rock and roll. I chose college and the corporate world. Uh, Anthony toured, has toured with everybody imaginable, Clapton, Ringo, Neil Young, uh, the older, the older bands, even the new, even the new bands. Uh, 
I went and got into marketing. And then I got into the consumer packaged goods world when I came out of uh, college. I went to work for uh, what, what became Nabisco. It was called Standard Brands in the Clorox company. And I did that. I was in the corporate world for 22 years. Um, I, I joined us. So I joined a startup in technology. And that was really my start to go over to the, uh, not the dark side, the interesting side, if you will. Um, and uh, what was that startup? I, uh, it was a Catalina Marketing. Um, this was in 1986. Um, let me set the, let me set this story for you. 86 uh, barcodes just came out. Uh, grocery store POS systems, point of sale systems were just mm-hmm. mass installed in the, in the masses. All right. And so every- just out of curiosity, at a grocery store prior to a POS, like when you'd buy your groceries, what would you do? The cashier would ring it up on an old fashioned cash register that would be like an old adding machine. And that's the way they did it. And there was no centralization of that data from each cash register? Not in the 50s and not in the 60s and not in the 70s. It started coming. Uh, but the, the POSs really came at the end of the 70s and the beginning of the getting sophisticated in the 80s. Um, and then companies came and said, how can we how can we make more money uh, with this information? Because everything that's scanned in a grocery store ultimately gets looked up and either they throw that data away or they, well, they started saving the data. And that's when the barcode became the magic. Uh, it was it used to be the Nielsen set-top boxes to see what you were watching and what advertising. This is going back. I mean, this is this is during the days of the crank-up funk. No, I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, but the companies called that, you know, now um, everybody knows Nielsen. There was three information companies, Nielsen, information resources, IRI, and, uh, Sammy, uh, don't ask me what Sammy stands for, but those were the three big, uh, scan data houses. And they started using scan data to, to develop market strategies, see where your your strengths and weakness areas in the country are, and um, so that's got, there was a few guys on a boat, and I was not one of them uh, that said, "Hey, if we put a PC now, PCs were just you know Dell Dell was just cranking up in the early '80s, but but if we put a PC in a grocery store, we hook it into the POS system, and we could." put a printer at the register. And if we are real time and somebody comes in and buys Pepsi and I went to Coca-Cola and said, how would you like to give a coupon for a free six pack of Pepsi to that Coke user? Since we they knew through the scan data that there was a, a good degree of loyalty um, in, in a polarized marketplace. And, so somebody came in, bought a six pack of, of uh, Pepsi. Coke said, oh, I got one. Mm. Here, Mrs. Jones, on your way out, we give you the checkout coupon uh, for a free uh, two liter bottle of Coke. Uh, and that was the beginning of one-to-one electronic marketing. Um, and then from there, uh, historical data was then collected, not only real-time data, and uh, more sophisticated means of targeting households uh, came about. And that was the infancy, if you will, of what's being done on the internet now, data. Uh, data is king. Knowledge is king. Um, so at, That's... Uh, at the time I joined the company, well, at, when I left the company, this system was installed in 10,000 grocery stores uh, plus across the United States. Uh, wow. This was a big network. Probably one of the largest, well, largest in grocery stores for sure. Uh, you know, the grocery chains had their own systems, but now we tied the grocery chains. Wait, we didn't tie them together, together, but we had the information from a, from, from an industry basis, and um, that was my entree into uh, technical um, networking, uh, technology wire business. 
What what was the type? I mean, this is a, a super nerdy question. What was the type of PC you were putting in in the late 80s? Like what were the specs of the PC? You know, I was on the I was on the sales and marketing side. It was I can't tell you how how much RAM it was, but it was like it, it was it made today it it makes put it this way. A cell phone of today is probably a thousand uh, equates a thousand computers equate a thousand PCs probably equate to the technology in a single cell phone. Oh yeah. So you know. Um, so um, when you would go into stores at that time with that capability, mm-hmm. so I, I mean I want to make sure I'm going to repeat so I I, I understand. You had a PC tied to the POS. You knew if they bought a Coke and your system then knew if, and in this example, I I might be reversing your example, but if they bought a Coke and if Pepsi was your client, then a Pepsi ad or coupon would be printed out on their receipt. Not on the receipt. We had a a separate register. A separate register. Excuse me, not a register, a separate printer. At the register. And that would be handed to the customer. And I would imagine most every big brand in the country became your customer. They did. They did. Um, And it was right in the middle of the uh, cola wars. And um, we had both Coke and Pepsi wanting to buy. And I was not an, I was not a founder of the company wanting to buy the technology. Hmm. And Roger Enrico was the uh, the CEO of Pepsi Cola at the time, and uh, he wanted to buy it all. So we sold in thirteen periods, and we were category exclusive. So if 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 uh, Pepsi owned the period, one of our thirteen cycles, Coke was locked out. Whoa. So he, uh, being Roger Enrico, he couldn't have all thirteen cycles. He could have ten. And he turned around to us and said, nah, I, I do it all or I do nothing. Otherwise, it's mutually assured destruct, destruction. So, uh, but uh, that was just, a, that was the exception rather than the rule. And uh, every large company, Procter & Gamble, Clorox, Nabisco, Stouffer's, you name it, they were on our system. That that must have been a pretty neat feeling to be. And at, at that point, was it that point in your career, you were VP of sales of that I, company? I started as a territory rep with, with Catalina. At the time, we did uh, 15,000 in sales uh, total. I did 10 of it in New York. Um, not not solely, but that's how, that's how big it was. I mean, there was only two of us in New York at the time. So, uh, and um when I left, I was senior vice president of sales and the company was approaching a billion dollars and listed on the New York Stock Exchange. What was that ride like? Unbelievable. Work hard, play hard, work hard, work harder, work harder, play harder, and then burn out. <laughs> <laughs> burn out. I need a vacation. Any, anybody who's done a, a, a corporate startup and then you, you're public and you're P, you have a 35 PE and you got to keep that going. Well, it's not, it's uh, not the best sales environment to be in. But, I was going to uh, say, cause yeah. that PE yeah. is, I mean, I, that has to be most of the weight of the company and the stock value sits on the director of sales shoulder. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I, I had a mentor, uh, Helene Monat, who taught me very well. Uh, and it was like, it was like following Eric Clapton on stage. So I, I, I didn't do quite as well as the, uh, the master. Uh, but yes, it, it, it was challenging. So bring me to 1999. You started, you started this integration business. How, how did that happen? Was that directly from corporate America right into, you know what, I'm going to follow my passion or what yeah. happened there? I was sitting in a, I was in bed in California uh, at some consulting gig that I I did uh, as I was deciding what to do. And I said, you know, 
I need to do something else. And all right. So every, when you're told, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. What do I love? Music is my passion and delivering music is a, a passion. Um, guys are visual video is my passion. Um, so I'm thinking, and I say, uh, to myself, self, um, you know what, when somebody just having renovated a home at the time, you know, when, when a person does a major renovation, you know, they need to bring somebody in for an alarm and they need to bring somebody else in for the stereo system. And then there's the TV appliance store or whatever. And so all these businesses, you, the homeowner had to find five different people. And then you get, you know, everybody pointing at each other when some, something goes wrong. And it was the back then I said, there's, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be one throat to choke on this. Need one person to come in and, and coordinate these systems. Well, you know, it, it was a, it was a tremendous idea that I came up with. Right now, it's you invented in, this idea invented of integration it. single-handedly. Yes. Just I'm I'm just like Al Gore. So so, um, um, yeah, I I, and and hey, I was an executive. Oh, you were a big shot selling to corporate America, selling this little AV speakers and slepping TVs. This is easy. So I got this. I'm going to I'm going to tear it up. Um, Well, there was a need and I did get into the business and. uh, I found out what entrepreneurs really were. Um, It was mind boggling how aggressive how smart, how innovative uh, people in my industry, our industry were, still are. And um, uh, corporate, corporate executives, they're all great people, and, but they don't have anything over the American entrepreneur. And uh, unless they are American entrepreneurs. So that was the industry, and uh, that's why I got into it. Yeah, no knock against our corporate no, uh, no, no. friends. No, no. But I, I agree. I, I talk about the uh I'm I'm actually writing a piece of content right now, uh, Tom, for an industry publication. It'll it'll be published uh pretty soon. And I'm writing about the state of the economy and the recession and and I started to write about uh, you know. The, the hard work, the work ethic, the grit, the determination, the sleepless nights, the anxiety, you know, and I'm defining what it is to be an entrepreneur in our industry and, and likely in many industries and uh, maybe all industries, you know, running a business uh, and, and employing people and taking on the weight and responsibility of taking care of your people and their families. It's, it's, uh, it's different. I'm not willing to say it's better or worse. Yeah. Uh, because it, I think it's, it's everything when finds a situation that's right for them, but it's definitely when you find a good entrepreneur that's doing it and successfully growing, successfully being profitable, successfully has happy people, successfully is making happy customers like that needs to be, you know, acknowledged and celebrated because mm. it's, hard as hell to do that well and to do that well consistently over time. And that's, it's, uh, it, it, and I, I want to say that's entrepreneurship. Certainly all I know is American entrepreneurship. Um, my friends in Canada, I, I know them, they, I would, I would define them in the same way. Uh, and, and I know there are folks listening to this from all over the world. So there's no knock on, on those businesses. I just don't know them as well as I know the entrepreneurs here in our backyard. But anyway, that's my diatribe. I'm just totally agreeing with you. Oh, I totally, mutual admiration society. I totally agree with that. And uh, they're, they're said another way, there are brilliant people in every industry. And uh, 
it's a different cat that takes something from nothing and, and makes it something. So, um, Amen. I think, uh, I think general Patton, I, I don't, I'm not going to have the, I'm terrible at quotes, but uh, yeah, me too, by the way, that's, yeah. you know, we need chat GPT or Google for yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a saying by, I think it's Patton. Um, there's, there's no warrior more tenacious than the American businessman, the American entrepreneur. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, you're right. It's a battle. And uh, talking about, I mentioned uh, a, a name before, Helene Monat. Uh, she taught me the most important lesson. Yeah. Your people are everything. Oh, amen. And you don't, you don't look at uh, the company as the people immediately around you. You always look at the company in terms of how many mounts are you feeding? And how, how many families are you responsible? And the kick, the kick of all kicks is I've, I started this business with 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds, and that was 23 years ago. Well, add 23 years to that, and I've seen these guys, ladies, mature, uh, have families, um, prosper, and, and that's why we do this. I, amen. Uh, can't. I don't think it could be said better. To take care of our people and watch them prosper in their communities for their families. I think that that's that's definitely the pride and joy of mine. It sounds like we have that in common. Um, as we look on the horizon, I'm going to look out a little bit, and I'm only going to say, God help you if you're watching the news. But it sounds like there might be a recession coming. Sounds like maybe we're in it now. I don't know. It's a little weird and wonky. It's it definitely 20. I can. I think I can say this with absolute certainty. 23 won't be the same level of business or the same situation as 21 and 22. And at least here in North America, 21 and 22, we're pretty gangbusters for at least the residential CI business. Um, and you started in 99. So that means you went through the ups and downs of the Great Recession. Right. So that technically started in December of 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, I was brilliant because I started my business in November of 2007. So I said, mm -hmm. let me just try to time this perfectly to like go into some pain and misery immediately. And so it was uh, December of 07 through July of 09 officially. And then unofficially, it took. Uh, another three plus years for housing to start to recover. And I was, I was researching recently actually for the article I'm writing, housing didn't recover until 2020 from pre construct uh, pre great recession construction levels. Right. So it, it, it was hard. Although I would say after 12, our industry really, I think boomed and did quite well. I'm saying all of that, Tom, what, were your experiences in that great recession and what were lessons learned that might be attributable to what might be ahead for us here in North America? A, nobody has a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. I remember not, and this is not a political statement. I remember on a TV show, Trump said, this was in 2007, 2008, he predicted heaven in 11. Heaven in 2011, meaning by 2011, we would have been out there. But I agree with your numbers. It was much later. And we do have something else in common. I started this business, let's call it January of 2000. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of licensing that has to get done. And, and, you know, and, and it was me and my dog, mm -hmm. Bosco. Uh, it's a good and, name uh, for a dog. Yeah, he's chocolate lab. Anyway, um, so the first year we're getting our act together, me and Bosco, um, and then uh, I hire my first two employees, and we're starting to get some traction. And uh, the terrible, terrible devastation we all went through on nine eleven hit. And uh, there was the Great Recession, but in the metro New York area, in, in particular, and we're not special, but be because we're ground zero, if you will, and the magnitude of the number of businesses and people affected, uh, 
2001, I felt the same way. And now I'm thankful that I was not and did not have family involved, uh, but we did have friends and clients involved and lost them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, then imagine that. I mean, everybody, you know what? People go into funerals for eight months and they weren't really worried about uh, getting a new iPad or uh, getting a new stereo. So that uh, that put the brakes on immediately uh, and it lasted a while. Um, we didn't go down to zero, but we 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 went down pretty far and you got to then be creative and try to uh, look at your product offering and see what we can do. Uh, so we, we started doing more security systems and surveillance systems and a little bit more maintenance work, but we made it through. Mm-hmm. We made it through. Uh, it wasn't easy and neither was the 2008, 2013 stint. Um, we're in a recession now. So I, again, there's no crystal ball. Um, COVID hits and what happens to our industry? I remember sitting at this desk I'm at saying, okay, well, here's where I say goodbye to the the business. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. We Um, were all like opposite wrong, weren't we? uh, You know what? There's got to be a little good to come out of trials and tribulations. And it was the best, best couple of years we ever had and our industry ever had. Why? Well, everybody went from one lifestyle to their new lifestyle. What was their new lifestyle? Working from home. What do you need for working at home? You need computer networks. You got three kids in the house. They all want to stream. Dad's home trying to work. Mom's home trying to work. And they nobody can, everything bogs down because what? We're, we're going off of a simple cable vision or Verizon modem for the whole house. Ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so networks, TVs, theaters, so on and so forth. So you got to make uh, you got to make hay when it when it's raining or whatever. This, this, uh, again, I'm not good with quotes, but uh, thank God our industry really responded. And you know something that we're not recognized for: we were first responders at the home. We were not uh, we were not um, restricted. As a matter of fact, we were asked to stay in business to provide security to provide communications so we never uh stopped for a day before covid literally never did um and uh so we were all wrong there now we have a recession excuse me uh not a recession we we have inflation we are teetering potentially on on recession and you want to know something <clears throat> you asked me a, a year ago and I was extremely nervous about uh, about the coming economy, and I still am. Don't get me wrong; it, it, we're paying too much money for so many things. But you know, when you look back, when you shut off the when you shut off the the pipeline, and then you turn it on, and everybody wants the same thing, has a lot of money in their pocket. Well, that's what happens. So you know, we're working through. Uh, again, no political statements. We're working through natural cycles. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer. Yeah, the individual has a little bit to do with what happens, but the cycles, the cyclic, cyclical nature of the economy, of the, uh, the consumer, um, really will dictate. And we started off great last year. We had a great late year last year. This year, uh, starting off a little slower. Um, but we are still busy and we're still on track for a not as good as a year uh, as uh, 2021, 22, but uh, it's happening. And people are spending, there's, there's still a lot of home building. Uh, there's still a lot of new technology people are interested. Uh, I got clients who are, we, we've done their homes two and three times. And uh, they they say there's a genuine interest in technology, and I, and I think what we started back in 1999, 2000, and and and, and other people in the industry in there longer than I, we're finally seeing, we've, you know, we're finally seeing smart homes. Now Google is not a smart home. Uh, 
Amazon is not a smart home. You know, their their advertising could be very misleading. Um, I remember the advertising for uh, I don't know Alexa, Alexa, um, and the and the the young teenager is on the lawn and the the daughter's up in the bedroom and the guy goes Alexa, turn on the sprinklers to get to get the bow off the. Well, you know what? Alexa can't turn on the sprinklers. There's got to be a whole infrastructure. It can be done. But uh, we're just entering that phase. We're just entering the phase of a truly smart home, which is responsive and predictive. Um, Mm. uh, uh, You're not smart unless you can kind of plan ahead a little bit. Uh, AI is coming into everything. We're going to hear AI till it comes out the wazoo. and uh, I, I think just, in that regard, I think AI is going, I think less will be accomplished with AI in the next 12 months than we think, but I think far more will be accomplished with AI over the next five years than we can remotely imagine. And everybody's, everybody's, you know, screaming with their hair on fire about the dangers of AI. Yes. There's dangers in nuclear weapons. There's dangers all over. Um, we need to make sure as a society. Uh, I, I think uh, Elon Musk said it well. You got to be able to unplug the power. It's as simple as that. Uh, so that gets us off into a tangent that we could save for another time. But uh, yeah, I, I can, I'm, I'm going to do some AI shows here in the near future. So maybe I'll have you back and we'll riff on yeah. that. I'm optimistic that we will harness harness it in a powerful way and it'll really affect our industry because the the predictive nature of the systems that we put in will get greater and greater. You'll have self-healing systems. Uh, You know, many of the mesh, uh, many of the networks like access networks are, are self-healing in nature. And now we're seeing um, many of this automation platforms become the same. And that's a result of AI. Well, I, I actually, I'll, I'll stay there just for a moment and I'll, I'll ask you, what do you know or what can you share? Uh, the idea that control systems, uh, in, you know, we don't need to name all the normal names and suspects in our industry. Do you know that they are finding ways to incorporate AI into their software or into the functionality of the system? Or are you predicting that that will be coming just because that seems reasonable and logical? Well, the whole industry is moving that way. Um, You had a problem back in the, we go back in the 60s, you called the telephone, with with your phone, you called the telephone company. Um, And then alarms came along. Now, you didn't have to call anybody if you had a fire in the house. It called Central Station, Mm -hmm. send, send the fire trucks. Well, now with the sophisticated smart homes and the, uh, the advent of in, in, in uh, one one platform oversee uh, smart homes are now monitored twenty four seven and not in a not in a data collecting way in a very secure uh, system diagnostic way mm-hmm. and um, there are there are firms now that do twenty four seven monitoring we have we can bring up on our screen and and have three, 400 clients, and we know the status of the different systems in their home. And we can even, we can even set up that Monday morning when we come in, you know, hey, you got to get to Mr. Jones's house on uh, Beechwood now because they had a problem over the weekend, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, a couple of things have to happen. One, one, and I thought you were going to go a different direction, but, you know, there's voice re- recognition, um, and that's been very slow to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, because nobody talks like Alexa wants to hear, uh, but there's developments being made in that, and AI helps that. Um, and yes, AI again. I, I mentioned access networks. I mentioned there's you, you're going to hear the term self healing more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, self healing system, self self healing network. Uh, your your iPhone is self healing. I mean, it, 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 they find a glitch, boom, they send out they send out the fix and we're over the glitch. So, uh, yes, it's, it's in its infancy from a smart home basis. Uh, but I think that's, we'll, we'll see, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to be on the bleeding edge of it. Uh, there'll be probably other industries that will, 
figure it out. You know, we didn't have uh, Tang. I don't know if you remember Tang. It was an orange drink, but we didn't get we didn't have that until we went to the moon because that's it was a powdered orange drink. And so, you know, we'll we'll get some uh, innovations in AI, and that we'll be able to adopt it into our business. You uh, last month you mentioned you were in Scottsdale for the ASEAN conference. Mm-hmm. And you and I were both there. We were both there in Scottsdale. We actually were sitting t- next to each other at the final lunch. <laughs> we, yes, we were. Yes, we were. And so I, I'd love for you to maybe impart your wisdom or experience around being in groups. At a high level, it surprises me the number of folks that I uh, interact with regularly that don't even know what the buying groups are or why to be in one or what the benefits are. And I know you've been in, in them. Uh, you've been in a number of them today. You're in Azion. Um, do you need to share from your perspective, why are you in a group and why should maybe folks that are watching or listening that aren't in a group, why should they consider it? You can't go through life without asking for help. If you do, it's going to take you a lot longer to get to the, the way you want to go. Um, in our industry, very competitive. I mean, you know how many integrators are in the Metro New York area? Um, and um, so what the groups do, whether it be Cedia or Asion or HTSA, uh, these are all different uh, buying groups or associations. Uh, it's brain food. It's as simple as that. If you want to create the wheel all by yourself, go go have at it. If you want to shortcut a 10-year growth process down to two years and you want to let listen to people in your in your industry, that's only going to happen where people congregate, not only in classroom setting, but also more and even more importantly, social settings. I've learned more at dinners at, at HTSA and as own uh, meetings. Um, what to do, what not to do, what to stay with. Um, so it's knowledge. Uh, you can't sit in a cubicle, a four wall office. Um, uh, even as the owner and, and, and CEO of this company, I still go on site. Uh, you gotta feel the pulse. And that's the same thing when you buy, I, I, I don't join the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the trade associations or the, or the buying groups for the discounts. It's a nice benefit. I buy it for the brain power of the people you're going to meet. I am flawed as to uh, just from this past ASEAN, the the level of sophistication and thought and systems and accounting and uh, analysis for ROI. I mean, it, and you can't learn this by yourself overnight. You'll save yourself a lot of time and join an association. Amen. I think we're going to end it on that, Tom. That was brilliant. I think a brilliant way to put it. And uh, I completely agree with you that there's tremendous value in learning from others. And one of the best things you could ever do, whether it's a hobby or whether it's your business, is uh, don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask for help and just listen to others. And, and frankly, you can fast track your own success and you can be a contributor to other success. And that yeah, feels good. The only stupid question is the one that goes unasked. Amen. Amen. Tom, for the folks that have tuned in, and uh, I appreciate you being a great sport, Tom. Your audio has been wonderful. Your video has been a little uh, clippy. I'm sure that's my software, but it is what it is. Um, How can the folks that have tuned in, how can they get a hold of you? Where would you send them? The post office, you'll see my picture. No, I'm only kidding. (laughs) On the most wanted poster? Yeah, that's a data joke, right? Um, Very simple. Info at digitalhomesystems.com. You want to get in touch with me personally, Tom at digitalhomesystems.com. Our office number is 914-939-7000. And you could do a smoke signal. I might see it, whatever. But you can you feel free, feel free to reach out. What you see is what you get. And I'll, I'll try to give you the most direct and honest answer I can if it, I can if you have questions. Awesome. That's brilliant. Tom, it's been a pleasure having you on show 242 for our celebration month. This is our six-year anniversary here of the show. 
And uh, it really has been a, a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.